Hi, my name is. What? My name is. Who? My name is. Robot Lady. Gabriel will be performing what he calls comedy on the following dates in the following locations. April 22nd in Umpla, Washington. April 23rd Longview, Washington. April 25th to 29 Las Vegas. April 30th Bellingham, Washington. May 6th. Willamette, Oregon. May 7th. Newport, Oregon. For all of Gabriel's show dates and ticket links go to gabrielrutledge.com. Or don't. If you would like to support this podcast by subscribing for $5 a month, click the Substack link in the episode notes. You won't get any extra episodes, but Gabriel will think warm thoughts about you. And now it's time for the drive home with Gabriel Rutledge. Play the royalty-free hip-hop music. Now here's your host, Gabriel Checking the microphone, checking the microphone, checking the microphone, yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought a lapel mic, it was $35, it doesn't work cause it sounded overblown. Overblown? I'm married, what's that about? <laughs> oh, we're having fun folks. We're not just here to tell jokes but to raise money for kittens who feel like they're puppies I tried I tried I tried to use my $35 microphone that I bought off of amazon.com it's a website you can buy almost everything I'm not sure if you heard of it uh, and it like it worked when I wasn't driving but as soon as I started driving, it did, it, it, I don't know, it got like, a, like I said, overblown. Like an NBA star at a strip club. Overblown. Get it? So, uh, just to paint a picture, I'm back in the Kia Rio Studios uh, for this episode, just to paint a picture of what I am using to record this. Uh, after trial and error and just testing the microphone situations uh, as I did errands around town. Uh, <laughs> if I wear headphones and record into the headphones, then it's like this weird... Uh, it's too close to me and it kind of rattles around and makes noises and then I absentmindedly scratch my beard and then it sounds like you know, it's like beard ASMR. <sighs> as far as you know, that was my beard hair. Uh, so uh, this is what I have set up. I have my <laughs> headphones plugged into my phone. And then I have the speaker part of the headphones kind of dangling down a little bit from my sun visor. Is that what it's called? That doesn't sound right coming out of my mouth. Sun visor? Sun blocker. Beta blocker. Beta male. Cuck. I'm always six degrees from cuck. Uh, so, it's hanging down like a tiny, like, if you're old enough to remember Mama Said Knock You Out by LL Cool J, 
you know, like that boxing style microphone that came down that he wrapped out of. That's what, it's like if you made a Lego version of LL Cool J in the Mama Said Knock You Out video, you might have one headphone pod dangling down. That's what I have in front of me. Um, so there we go. Look at me now. Look at me now. Started this podcast, I guess a month ago, with, you know, hundreds of listeners. And now, a month later, I'm talking into a dangling earpiece with a few less listeners. That's how much progress we've made. It's still hundreds. Don't worry about it. Could be 101, could be 999. I didn't get into podcasting for the millions of listens, okay? I got into podcasting for one reason only to get laid. Hello! Uh, I'm driving back from my show in Port Orchard, Washington. McCormick Woods Golf Course. That's where I'm driving back for. What? I mean, on my way there, there was rain mixed with snow in April? I mean, the weather, you guys. I mean, come on. What's the deal with it? April, whatever the fuck this is, is going to bring May, whatever the fuck that's going to be, or however the saying goes. Don't like the weather? Wait 10 minutes and go kill yourself. I believe that's a Doug Benson joke. Uh, And then he talks about weed right afterwards. But if you want to be a successful stand-up comedian, you can talk about the weather wherever you go because everywhere thinks their weather is weird. Every, I mean, the weather is weird some places, but everywhere is like, oh, man, I... I was wearing a t-shirt, I ended up with a sweater, I had rain boots, and then I ended out the night with uh, flip-flops and a snow cap. This place is crazy! Standing ovation. Blowjobs. You're a millionaire. Also, you can talk about traffic. Uh, You can talk about road construction in every town you go to. What's what's with this fill-in-the-blank town, huh? When's it going to be finished? Anyway, folks. Between the weather here and your road construction, I don't know what the heck's going on. Thank you. Good night. Standing ovation. Millions of dollars. Blowjobs all around. Showbiz. Sometimes, uh, much less so now that I do, I guess, less one-nighters than I used to. Is that true? I don't know if it's true. I just did one, so maybe not. But you'll go into a venue and they'll be like, hey, if you want the, if you want to know the shitty town nearby where they sell meth, it's whatever, fill in the blank town. Because they're just so used to comedians asking what town they can make fun of. kind of silly. 
I liked to respond to that, um, when the bartender would be like, hey, just so you know, uh, the town around here everyone makes fun of is Shelton, or whatever the town is. That's where, that's where everyone makes meth jokes. That's where you can get meth around here. And then I, I would say, just to be fun, oh, I already bought some meth, so thanks for letting me know, but I'm good. Oh, and we'd laugh. And then I'd be like, what? What's with the weather around here? I mean, I was wearing a Speedo and a rain jacket with a football helmet. That's not even weather-related. I just felt funny today. I don't know who sells traffic cones in this town, but they must be a millionaire. Standing ovation, millions of dollars, blowjobs all around. Maybe standing ovations and blowjobs, but not millions of dollars. Probably 200, and then you go to the next town. I made a classic, I made a classic mistake tonight. I knew, I knew better, I knew better. They have a lot of uh, shows, a lot of fundraiser shows at this venue that I was at. Tonight was not a fundraiser show, it was just a show. I've, uh, I don't want to brag, but I've uh, performed in several rooms in this building. <laughs> but I think people there are used to seeing fundraiser shows. And that means they see clean comedy shows. But tonight, we were told, hey, you can be PG-13. Couple of F-bombs. Couple of F-bombs is no big deal. You can be PG-13. This isn't a this isn't a private show. And uh, like an idiot, I did it. Like an idiot. I mean, obviously, I can be less than PG-13. I just did a show last week, an all-ages show at a comedy club. I have enough material. I can do that. I didn't want to do that. There's 18 people in this room at a golf course. I'm like, I want to have fun. I want to do the jokes that I want to do right now. And so I'm going to do those. And then, man, I was doing good. And then as soon as I got into sexual content, you could see I'm like, oh, well, that's a little much. And then I thought, well, who cares? I'm going to do my joke about the time I did comedy at a sex club. And I never fully recovered from that. I, I mean, I didn't bomb, but I never fully bounced back from the sex club material, which is PG-13. But I made the classic mistake. They, I do it at private gigs all the time. They're like, anything goes. Say whatever you want. We're a fun group. Say whatever you want. And then I do. And then they go, whoa. Just because the booker says you can be PG-13. It does not mean the audience will be. And I made that mistake tonight. The joke was PG-13, but you guys aren't. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dial it back to PG. I'm gonna make that adjustment. No standing ovations. No millions of dollars. Certainly no blowjobs. I mean, I got him back, you know, but it still was like, it threw me. 
I went into the sex stuff and it threw me and then it, it threw me into like a gear of I was doing really old jokes because it's like okay I'm gonna do the safest stuff possible so it went fine but it's also like you know as soon as I was done I'm like oh, I could have done all these other jokes that are more current instead I was like what's with did you guys hear uh, about Bill Clinton and that intern that's pretty crazy. One of <laughs> I do not have a Bill Clinton joke, by the way. One of my favorite things to see when I watch comedy, uh, you don't see it as much anymore as when I first started uh, back in 1888 when I first rode the horse carriage up to Seattle to my first open mic. I made my set list with a chisel and stone. Uh, but you don't see it as much anymore, but it's it's a clearly super old joke that the comedian is trying to still do and maintain it as current. Now, when I started in 2000, lot of Bill Clinton jokes still going around, and that was, you know, that was gone by 2000. It was obviously more current than it is now. Also, a lot of uh, Lorena Bobbitt jokes about her cutting that guy's penis off and throwing it out the window or whatever. So you'd see a comedian on stage, you'd be like, uh, Obama is president now. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty cool. I kind of like the last guy. Remember when Monica Lewinsky? And then there you go. Now you're doing your joke. And then later in this set, you're like, man, the news is crazy. So much weird stuff happening in the news. I'll tell you what, though. Nothing in my life has been crazier than Lorena Bobbitt. Here we are, back, standing ovation, millions of dollars, blowjobs all around. defense occasionally I have to do that with stories about my children I'm actually kind of pretty uh, I'm pretty accurate with my kids ages I always say their current age if I'm telling a story about a different time I kind of say what age it was sometimes I'm on stage I'm like you know Sometimes I'll be like, my son was born in 2001. You know who was a fun president, though? Bill Clinton. Remember? Monica Lewinsky? Oh, my God. Off we go. But, yeah, I try to say my kids' ages. But there's, still, there's nothing wrong with telling a joke from a different time. But it's weird. It's weird how that time works. Like, you, you could tell a Lincoln joke for 20 years and no one would care. But if you tell an Obama joke now, people are like, ugh, let it go. You can tell a joke about Jesus. Uh, and allegedly, he died 2,022 years ago. Or was he born to? I don't know how that works. 
So I made that mistake. I made a mistake. I made a mistake. Okay, I made a mistake. I make mistakes all the time with comedy. Did a little crowd work with a guy who clearly didn't want me to do crowd work. But maybe he should have turned his phone off. That's all right, sir. You look very intimidating, and I like what you're doing no matter what. <laughs> I don't know if you can reach it with your giant muscles, but there is like a, you could, there's a mute. It's off. It's off. <laughs> what do you do for a living? Like, crush things? What's your job? Is it a secret? No. Oh, oh, no. I'm a county inspector. You're a county inspector? Oh, county inspector, he likes to work out. All right. Easy. <laughs> Easy. Someone's thirsty. What's going on over there? <laughs> okay, county inspector. You give me this look like I, you know, I, that's why I have big muscles. I kill people. <laughs> I kill people who question. That's fine. What do you, what do you inspect? Commercial property. It's okay. We're friends, sir. I want, <laughs> I want one thing to be known right now. You're my favorite terrifying person in the room. It used to be her, because she's very excited about the comedy show. But your intimidation has beaten her enthusiasm. And now you are my favorite. You know what? I, I've always been a bit of an amateur county inspector. <laughs> I've looked at counties before and thought, man, if I could get paid for this someday. <laughs> what is that, property? I don't know. I'm not official. <laughs> I don't even work out. <laughs> Got to be ripped. Kitsap County? Yes. I got you. That's why, that's why you're keeping it low. People are mad about property tax and shit. <laughs> there he is. He's strong, but we could take him. <laughs> you know, it kind of bothers me a little bit. Like, don't get me wrong. It's, I know there's a time and place to be appropriate. And if you hire me to be appropriate, I will be. Or, you know, I should have made the adjustment tonight. I should have sensed they weren't ready for my private sex club jokes. But I, it does kind of annoy me. You know what? This leads into a, a new segment. And now it's time for Gabriel's comment of the week. This comment comes from Heather. Last name redacted. It was left on Gabriel's full-length special called My Safe Word is Tucson. Available on YouTube. Heather writes, Most comedians are not half this good. I have not laughed this hard in a long time. Well, until he started joking about sex. Cringe and boring. I like everything before that. How's that for half a compliment? This guy was great until he started talking about sex. Parentheses, cringe and boring. Now don't get me wrong, if I write a joke that is clean, I'm a little prouder of myself. I'm like, hey, that's one I can tell everywhere. You know, I was proud of myself for doing an all-ages show at Spokane Comedy Club last week. I'll even, I'll even give you the argument. It's harder to be clean than dirty. 
it's easier to get laughs with dirty jokes than it is clean jokes. Not tonight at the golf course, but in general. I'll give you that argument. But that's just not true. That when people talk about sex, it's cringe and boring. No, it's not. I'm going to assume that person came to my YouTube page because they saw my dry bar comedy clips, which are clean. And so I'm going to speculate that that person is uh, of a religious persuasion. And so they don't want to hear me talk about sex. But I have been a religious person. You're just pretending sex is cringe as morning. I've done, like, as a, as a kid watching movies with my family, it's like we're all laughing. And then there's, like, a scene with language or sexual humor. And then the whole family has to be like, wow, that's, mm, that's not... That's not what we're all about. And it's an act. I don't know who it's an act for. It's not an act for God. It can't be an act for... I don't understand. I understand you don't want sex talk on Sesame Street. But if you go to a nightclub or a golf course to watch a comedian and they start talking about sex or you're watching a YouTube clip of a comedian and they talk about sex and you go, well, that's just boring. Well, I don't know how the fuck you have sex, but it's pretty fun. You could even say, if you're a religious person, God made it fun. Why, why do we have to pretend? That guy was funny, except when he talked about the one thing that is the reason for life on earth, sex. Hey, comedians, I'm a religious person. Can you never mention the one underlying theme of all of creation? I'd appreciate that. Of course I'm going to talk about sex. Because that, <laughs> that comment could have been left by my parents when I was a kid. And so now, as a result, I travel the country talking about cringy, boring sex. It's not my only theme. Actually, right now, I have a very sex-heavy act. My per my actual life, not so sex-heavy, but some people say, write what you know. I'm writing what I wish was happening. How about that? Uh, but I'm never, there's, there, there is never, in 21 years, I've never not had jokes about sex. It's your... You're cutting off a piece of your own humanity when you're pretending you're offended by sex jokes. Look, maybe you are offended, and I know there's not, there are times it is not appropriate. I understand that. 
But what kind of life is that where every comedian you see, every TV show you watch, every movie you put on, you're like, well, I hope the cringe and boring sex doesn't come up. Ugh. When will the world let it go? I'm going to guess that person was not a Gilbert Gottfried fan. Uh, R.I.P. Gilbert. Just died. Um, I think I, I speak on behalf of all of us when we heard Gilbert Gottfried died by saying, shit, he was only 67? Huh. I worked with him. Uh, maybe not 10, but I, seven or eight years ago. I thought he was 67 then. I worked, I worked with him in Reno. And man, he... Talk about a guy who just didn't give a shit. Talk about a guy who wouldn't go into his old material if his private sex club joke didn't work. He just did what he wanted to do. It was, you would think people know Gilbert was what he was. Inappropriate. But man, he walked, I I was there, uh... I think I headlined Thursday, he was there Friday, Saturday, and then I headlined Sunday. That's not important to the story. Do I really need you to know I headline normally? What an asshole. Uh, and I thought, I mean, it seemed like the shows were sold out. Was it Catch a Rising Star uh, in Reno, which isn't there anymore? I mean, Reno is, but Catch a Rising Star isn't. But, like, he was walking people because they were just horrified at the jokes he was saying. Some of the jokes were, he was literally, like, just old jokes from, like, a joke book. But, man, he had a, (laughs) he had a joke. I don't know. Do you remember that Mackenzie Phillips wrote a book about her dad? You know, I, I read Mackenzie Phillips' autobiography, In her book, she says when she was a little girl, her father would climb into bed with her every night and have sex with her. This, to me, was mind-boggling. I can't get my daughter to hold my hand when we cross the street. (laughs) We're running through oncoming traffic. Trucks are whizzing past. And she's pulling away from me. And this guy's nailing his daughter every night. I don't know how he does it. I figure he just has more confidence than I do. And I'm not saying I want my daughter to have sex with me. I just want her to know that Barbie dream house wasn't free. You could show some appreciation. 
Let me tell you, when I was a little boy, if my father bought me a baseball, I would have made out with him. I mean, that joke walked a couple of tables. I, w I was thinking, there's not... Like, I don't know Gilbert. There's actually a very good documentary about him. I can't remember the title, but he's a very interesting... He was a very interesting guy. Uh, first of all, collected... One of the things I do, he collected all the tiny soaps and shampoos from hotels from, like, his whole life. In, in this documentary, they show a room filled with tiny soap. I actually stopped doing that uh, after COVID. I don't know why I could start again, but... And also, he was so cheap. Like, obviously, he did well financially, but he would, like... He would take, like, the bus to gigs five hours away. He would, like, you know, he's up at, like, five in the morning taking a bus by himself to go to, like, comedy gigs for sold-out casinos just because it was cheaper. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, but he just clearly... His sense of humor is like, what if I said the worst thing possible? I mean, it cost him. It made him, but it cost him. I mean, he... He was the Aflac... Aflac. He was that guy. He, he he did that commercial until he tweeted something after the tsunami, the Japanese tsunami. He tweeted. I don't remember what the tweet was, but he got in trouble for that. Lost that gig. But I think he was just edgy because it's fun to be edgy. You know? How would a Holocaust joke go over right now? Like, that just seemed to be what was going through his head all the time. And there are plenty of people still like that in the world. There's comedians. But I don't think any more of them are going to get to be as mainstream as Gilbert Gottfried was. Like, if you like to do that sort of material, you can get famous, you can make money, you can... whatever. Run your own podcast network, have your own fans, run your own shit. It, there is still a market for, like, edgy, inappropriate material. But Gilbert Godfrey was, like, the voice of a parrot in Aladdin. He was in movies, in TV shows. He Like, everyone knew him. And then he also did jokes about... can't even bang my daughter, which are jokes. But anyone who's doing jokes like that now is not going to get to do the shit Gilbert Godfrey got to do in his career. There might be a few exceptions to what I'm saying right now, but in general. I mean, even Richard Pryor was super edgy, not in that way, not in the way that he he just had an edgy life and he used colorful language, especially at that time. Uh, you know, he was super raw, but also like had, very, you know, he was in very mainstream movies, very, very mainstream TV shows. And I don't think there's that crossover anymore. I think everyone's staying in their lane. Richard 
Richard Pryor was around right now. Like, as a young man, I mean, he'd clearly still be a massive comedian because he's maybe the best of all time. But people wouldn't like everything he had to say. Also, I think he had some domestic violence shit and all kind. You know what I mean? It's like, I just don't think, you know, look at it this way. Cat Williams is one of the funniest comedians alive. I think. No one is talking to Cat Williams right now about doing the Cat Williams show on NBC. Gilbert is fa was famous in a way that, like, even if people didn't know who he was, they knew they should. I walked with him once uh, at the... He seemed not well. I don't know what his health problem was, but, like, it took him a while to get on stage. He'd move very slowly. Uh, but also, like, he he seemed like a guy who should have traveled with a handler, but didn't. Uh, I guess if you're the kind of guy who was, like, pilfering tiny soap from Ramada Hotels, you're probably not like, I'm gonna pay a guy to travel with me. But after his show, one of the nights, the, the club manager said, will you walk Gilbert back to his room? And I was like, sure. Kind of seemed like something casino security could have done, but I'm like, sure. And then also he sold books and not the flimsy paperbacks that I sell. He had like big, fat, hardcover books that he sold after the show. So I had this box of books and, you know, I, I bet it was a 15-minute walk. That was the, My arms were screaming in pain by the time I got back to his hotel room. I dropped those books off in his hotel room. And, like, I couldn't straighten my arms for 10 minutes afterwards because they were just stuck in the shape of Gilbert Gottfried's book box. But I would watch people over the top of the book box. I would watch people and I would watch their eyeballs as we walked past. And people would go like, hey, and like point at us. And sometimes, hey, that's Gilbert Godfrey. Sometimes, hey, and who? Who's that? What? He seemed like a very sweet man. Uh, it seemed like those who knew him had nothing but warm things to say about him. Uh, but man, if you think Chris Rock was mean against disabled people for telling someone who may or may not have alopecia that they should be in G.I. Jane, then Gilbert Godfrey was not for you. I worked with Louis Anderson one time, too, who uh, also recently... I did not work with Bob Saget. I did not work with Norm MacDonald. God, I wish I would have worked with Norm MacDonald. That would have been amazing. But uh, Louis Anderson, also a very, very sweet man uh, uh, in the time I met him. was very He was very concerned. <laughs> he was very concerned with... Uh, we did this casino gig. It was a private show uh, but it, for firefighters, but it was at a casino. And they, you know, it was just me and him, but they 
brought us like a ton of food and uh, he was very concerned with where the food was going after the show because he's like you should take this home am I doing a Louie impression he's like yeah you should take this home there's so much take a cheesecake take it I'm like I don't want to he was very concerned with where the food was going uh, almost like he himself had a problem with food this is a morbid thought but like Louis Anderson clearly struggled with food and weight his entire life playing his first Johnny Carson appearance when he died. <laughs> Talk about old references. I was watching Stephen Colbert the other night. He was pretty good, but you know who I miss? Johnny Carson. Uh, but Louis' opening line on his, John, on his Tonight Show Johnny Carson thing was he was like, I can't stay here long. I'm in between meals, which is pretty darn funny. Uh, but a man who clearly struggled with his weight, I'm sure it had a negative impact on his life while he was alive, but he still lived into his 60s. I mean, think about all the good fucking food he ate that maybe you or I are not eating. Because we're like, you know what? I gotta try and be a little healthy. He just ate it anyway. Died a millionaire after a great life of movies, stand-up comedy, standing ovations and blowjobs. Would he have taken that deal? Like, if he had to live his life over again, you're like, Louie, you get to come back. You get to do it all again. Would he be like, this time, I'm going to take better care of my health? Or, would he be like, yeah, I'm going to eat everything that winks at me. And die a millionaire in my 60s again. I'm going to guess probably not, because I bet living that life uh, had a lot of challenges. But, you know, Ralphie May, well, if you know the comedian Ralphie May, he was he was much bigger than Louis, I think. But Ralphie May is more of a tragedy, because he died, I think, in his 40s. Is it a tragedy when an obese man dies in his 60s? You're almost like, you won. He literally had his cake and ate it, too. One of the greatest acting performances I've ever seen in my life uh, is Louis Anderson in the show Baskets. It's a Zach Galifianakis show, and it's uh, on FX, I believe. And Louis Anderson plays uh, Zach's mother. Well, he's not Zach in the show, but... He plays the mother, but, like, just straight up as, I mean, not like, oh, 
look at this man dressed like a mother. I mean, he's just the mom. And I think it was based on Louis' mom. Uh, and it was great. And, uh, I mean, just really vulnerable, incredible acting from Louis Anderson. Uh, I might rewatch that show. I booked a show today that, uh, I don't know if this is relatable in other industries, but sometimes just stuff sounds too good to be true. You know, because most of my life, not most of my life, but a ton of my time is taken up with soliciting people for work. Some of it just comes to me, but it's like, someone messaged me on Instagram, they're like, would you like to go to Boston? I said, sure. I've never performed in Boston. They're like, call me. I call them. They're like, I have this room. You want to come out? I have a sponsor. They'll pay for your flight. I'll give you a hotel. How much money do you need? I'm like, wait, what? And then I said a number that was too low. He's like, I think we can do that. Pencil it in. I'm like, wait, that's not how this normally works. Like, if you would have asked for my credit card number, I would have been like, okay, I knew it. I knew this was a scam. That makes sense. I mean, I hope it works out. I want to go to Boston. If it does work out, uh... I'm going to try to work the Comedy Cellar in New York City uh, the day before. Because believe it or not, Esty, who runs it, responds to my emails. How? How is this possible? <laughs> Someone gave me your email because I thought maybe I would try to work the Comedy Cellar in Las Vegas. And I sent her a clip. And she said, I like your clip. Do you live in Vegas? I said, no. She said, oh, well, if you did, I would have worked you. I'm like, I can go to Vegas to work for you. But I think the deal is they have maybe one per, one or two people from out of town who work the Comedy Cellar. Because it's like a five or six comedian show. So it's like a lot of locals. So, and they're making local money. You know. I can't fly down and work for what they were getting. But anyway... She said, uh, perhaps I would love to see you do a set in front of me sometime. And then I guess if she liked it, then maybe I could be paid more to work the Comedy Cellar in Las Vegas. So she's like, next time you're in New York, send me an email and I'll get you up. Which is pretty bananas. I mean, there's people, uh... New York City who are, they moved there for that opportunity and it hasn't happened. There's 1,200 New York comedians driving an Uber right now who are like, wait, she fucking got back to you? I know. And so I booked something in Syracuse uh, this summer. Sure, it's an $800 flight. 
Yikes. Thanks, Biden. You know who I miss as president? Bill Clinton. Remember Monica Lewinsky? Uh, I actually, I don't even blame Biden. I don't know. Who are you going to blame? We always blame the president for whatever is happening. Gas prices or whatever. I don't know if they have anything to do with it. Anyway. I'm going to Syracuse. Friday and Saturday. I send Esty an email. I'm like, there's no way she's going to respond. She probably forgot all about this. But I... I I sent her an email, and I said, hey, I'm going to be in Syracuse on these dates. Is there any way I could perform at the Comedy Cellar? Perhaps the most influential, maybe important comedy club, the greatest comedians in the world, call that comedy club their home. Is there any way I could get a set on the Thursday that week. She responded and said, I'm only there Friday and Saturday. Is there any way you can make that work? No, I cannot. But holy shit, two for two in return emails. There's a sports bar in Puyallup, Washington. that I can't get to message me back on Facebook after they said they wanted to book me this summer. But the person who runs the Comedy Cellar in New York City, I'm two for two in email responses. There's a bowling alley in Roseburg, Oregon that I worked five years ago that said if I'm ever in the area again, send us an email. We'd love to have you back. Well, guess what? I was in the area again. No email back. But the booker for the comedy cellar in New York City, I'm two for two. They don't even have bowling there. So, if I get this Boston show confirmed on a Saturday in September, I'm hoping to go three for three with my Comedy Cellar emails. And somehow, it won't... I mean, it's still four hours. It's four hours away, Boston and New York. But that's for me, that's pretty close. So uh, I gotta try and make it work, even though it'll cost me some money. I'm just not there very often. So if this Boston thing works out, hopefully I will get a chance to do some of my PG-13 jokes at the Comedy Cellar. And afterwards, she'll probably be like, It was pretty good, but I didn't care for the joke about your show at a private sex club. Honestly, this will change if I get to do it. I don't even care what she says. When you're a comedian from Olympia, Washington, you don't start off your comedy career by thinking, 
you're going to perform at the Comedy Cellar or some of the places I perform in Vegas. It all, look, I I know I deserve it in the sense that, like, you know, sometimes after shows, people will say to comedians, like, you're just as funny as fill-in-the-blank famous person. And, yeah, you're right. I know. But that doesn't mean I don't have a uh, inferiority complex about show business. That doesn't mean I'm still not, like... You know, it's one thing to, like, look at a billboard in Vegas and go, I know I'm just as funny as that comedian I see on the big sign next to the Tropicana. It's one thing to say that, but then when I am the big flashing face on the Tropicana, I go, holy shit! I never thought that would happen. Should I be there? Do they know my wife took that picture they're using for promo? <laughs> I have a wife takes my headshots career. What am I the size of a city block on the Tropicana for? So that's how I feel about the Comedy Cellar. I never thought I would do it. I never thought the comedians there were like somehow not in my world of performing jokes. But, like, I just never thought I would do it. And so I want to do it. You know? Truly bucket list. I mean, hopefully I won't die immediately afterwards. But. And that'll change. I say now I just want to do it. But if I do do it, and she doesn't say anything afterwards, I'll be like, well, that was a waste. But I just want to try. I don't have a, hey, next time you're in New York career. I performed comedy one time in New York City on a show for Comedy Central. Maybe you fucking heard of it. <laughs> I'm sure you heard of Comedy Central, but have you heard of Live at Gotham? You're right. It was on in 2009. That's not the point. 2009 was a weird year, but I missed the 90s because we had the most fun president. Remember Bill Clinton? That's what I'm going to do on the Comedy Cellar stage if I ever make it there. I have a very... This is all... It's always been true in my comedy career, but, like, I have... I'm... This month, I'm headlining my second... Las Vegas Comedy Club. I guess actually, I'm headlining my third and fourth. Also, they're not week-long things, but it's like uh, I'm also doing South Point Casino on the Friday. I'm also doing a room in the House of Blues on the Friday, and then Monday through Wednesday, uh, I'll be at the uh, Monday through Wednesday. I'll be at the uh, uh, Laugh Factory at the Tropicana. I. You know, I booked the Syracuse Funny Bone. I booked uh, a bunch of cool stuff. I'm two for two in Comedy Cellar emails. At the same time, I'm like... Booking some stuff that I don't really want to be doing. But I, you know, I still need the money. And that's always been true. But it's just, you know... Come see me at the Tropicana in Las Vegas, Nevada. Or 
I have a show the week before where everyone on the poster is covered in weed smoke because it's on 420. Come blaze it up with us! And I'm like, oh, well, I also need that $200. Do not tell Esty about the 420 show, okay? I have a reputation to maintain. She thinks I'm in New York all the time on business, comedy business. Don't fuck this up for me. So maybe, if the Boston thing happens, uh, I'll turn it into a hopefully better than break-even trip and try to get a New York, uh, a New York day out of it. We'll see. I wonder how she'd respond if I took my five minutes at the Comedy Cellar and, um, tried to sell merch afterwards. I have t-shirts. <laughs> I was thinking about this because I, uh, I just had to edit my last episode that hopefully you've heard already. And I described these hecklers that I talked to after the show, I described them as, they were fun, they were good people, and then I re-listened to the clips and I'm like, they were very rude, they yelled weird shit at me. Why did I describe them as good people? I mean, I think they are good people, but like, why why didn't I have negative feelings towards them? And I realized, it's the, the main reason I left that night thinking they were good people is because they bought so much merchandise from me. Those two couples dropped about $200 total. And that made me think they're good people. And that's what I would like comedy clubs to implement. Not if you talk, we're going to come over and tell you to be quiet. If you talk again, we kick you out. If you talk, we're going to come over and that costs you one t-shirt that you have to buy from the comedian. If we have to come back, two t-shirts you have to buy from the comedian. We have to come back a third time to tell you to be quiet. Three t-shirts and you do have to leave. I want merch-related punishment. I had one shirt left. The, my last show when I was in Spokane. One shirt, one double X, and uh, I ended up like kind of auctioning it off on stage. I have one shirt left. Uh, this is it, right here. If you don't even know what's on it and you want it, uh, the bidding will begin at twenty dollars. Forty? For, for real? Do you have cash? Fucking get it out, bro. It's just a blank shirt. <laughs> I have made so much money with this grift right here. I'm kidding, it says something. I'll, let, I'll show them, I'll, let me show them and I'll give it back, I promise. <clears throat> it says Northwest AF. <laughs> it's the last one I have left. That was a bold move. You're like, 40 bucks, a sight unseen. It's like storage wars, something's in there. Uh, I didn't bring it up earlier, but this is my last book. 
there was almost a spectacular moment that never happened. Because after the show, like I said, I had one shirt. People said they wanted it. I'm like, how much money? There was an, this lady after the show said, when you said that, I almost yelled out and let you know I am an, I am an auctioneer. Like professionally, that's her job. She's an auctioneer. If she would have said that, I would have brought her on stage. We could have auctioned off my one t-shirt. That would have been tremendous. I mean, I got $40 for my shirt anyway, but how much would an auctioneer have gotten me? It would have at least been fun to be like 20, 25, 25, 30, 30, 25, 40. I mean, I almost wanted to like, I want to bring an auctioneer to a show. I want to, I want to just bring someone out and say, I have one shirt. And I brought an auctioneer. And when they sell that shirt for $84, I'll be like, I have another shirt. <laughs> be like, I actually had this shirt for a long time. I had this shirt when Bill Clinton was president. You remember him? Now that was a fun. All right, I'm supposed to go in a minute. I will, uh... No, please! <laughs> <laughs> really never bounced back from the sex club, did we? Um, 